0: Let me echo Joan's welcome, Say you're much uh, welcome here, very much so. We only have four more Inspires left for the end of the year. Unbelievable, so make sure you come along to each of those. And we're already planning for our great big seniors Christmas celebration. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Pete said, Neil, no sitting in the back row. I didn't sit in the back row anyway, like last year. He said, I want you up front and centre this year. So okay. All right, boss. Okay. I will be there. No worries. We're working our way through the beatitudes and this morning we come to Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Jesus could not have meant blessed are those who are sinless when he said the word blessed are the pure in heart, for who can claim to be sinless? In fact, Solomon says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, there is no one who does not sin. If Jesus was making reference to the person who only ever thinks good thoughts, who only ever does good deeds, or oh, how good would it be to be like that, then he was wasting his breath, wasn't he? There is no person to whom these words can apply if we take it as Sinlessness. This morning I'm going to do a little bit different. I want to start with the back end of the Beatitude and then we'll work our way towards the front. So to begin with, I'll talk about they shall see God. They shall see God. What a person looks at, what a person gazes at, determines what kind of person they are and what type of person they shall become. What you look at. What gets into your mind and into your thoughts does have a play upon our character. We have sayings, don't we? We say of a person that they have an eye for business. So they have leadership skills, they have management skills, and they're able to become a great leader in the business community. We might say of somebody that they have a roving eye, a roving eye. Their eye doesn't just stay on one thing. We might save someone that they have an eye for colour. They're an artist of some type. Or as a few people have said to me, they've said, Neil, you've got the eye for photography. Well, it doesn't come easy, let me tell you. You've got to have the right time of day uh, usually. You've got to have the right light. You've got to be in the right position. No distracting things in the background. All this comes into play, the angle of your lens, and then, of course, if you're a wildlife photographer, well, you take it to another level, don't you? Because you never know what that animal's going to do and you always want the animal to do a certain thing and it always does something else. But anyway, sometimes it all, all comes together, which is good. When we're driving, we say that you need to have an eye on the road. What we have an eye for tells us about ourselves And what others look at tells us about them also. It's true that they say that some people are the glass half empty people. Glass half empty. Nothing's always just right. You know, it's either too hot or it's too cold or it's too dry or it's too wet. (laughs) I went up the coast on Sunday morning to preach up at Maroochydore and a couple there, a lovely couple I had breakfast with, and I'm driving up right early in the morning, up past six, going, Lord, what a great day, what a great day, what a beautiful day Sunday morning was. I turn up to meet there, a lovely couple, I say, it's great to see you this morning, what a beautiful day. Oh, Neil, it's a bit cool today, don't you think? Well, I'm thinking the last hour, all I've just been saying to myself is what a fabulous day it is. Some, fe- some people feel disapproval more keenly than others. Criticism or rejection is felt deep within. They read other people's faces and they think, you know, what's the agenda behind you perhaps? Does this person really approve of me or not? Will I attempt to be their friend? It's true, a suspicious nature can distort our perception of others. We may read more into a situation that's, than what's really there. We may dwell too much on why did that person say that thing to me? What's really behind their words? Counteract that, we've got the glass half full people. Oh, what a joy they are to be around. Always positive, always encouraging outside it can be freezing cold it can be windy and wet and they're just going what a great day to be alive oh to have a friend like that is such a blessing isn't it someone who knows us so well who forgives gives our failures we move on for that we all have failures who encourages us in what we do surprises us with little gifts maybe encouraging words acts of service love languages i'm talking here right enjoying spending time with us and I've found little kids are like that you know they're so trusting and they're so positive. positive two months ago I was in Winnipeg in Canada meeting up with one of my former students when I was principal at the Bible school and her kids had come out of school and there's a little park near the school there and there's a parent that's rostered every afternoon to look after the children, right, as they play on the playground's uh, equipment until the parents come and pick them up. And Amy said to me, she said, Neil, we're going to go down the markets. I need some uh, fruit and vegetables. We'll go down the markets. She said, well, buy some fruit and vegetables. And on the, way, on the way back, I'll pick up my two boys. So I went to the markets with her. And then on the way back, we stopped at this little playground area. And the boys rushed over, mum, mum, mum. And she said to them, boys, I want you to meet Uncle Neil. Now, I'm not their real uncle, right? But anyway, I want you to meet Uncle Neil. Well, straight, and then she said this. She said, he's a photographer, right? So straight away, I get out my phone and I turn to the pictures that I took in Australia Zoo. And so I'm showing these boys and I say to them, right? Tell me which animal this is you know, red panda, they're telling me, right, red panda, rhinoceros, meerkat, and as soon as they started doing that, all the other kids left the playground equipment, right, this is where the action is happening, right here, right now, and I have a whole lot of kids, I'd say probably 12 or 14, right, kids standing around me, guessing what the next animal is, I'm thinking, Uncle Neil, (laughs) king of the kids, oh, how easy is this, how good is this? That's what little kids are like, aren't they? They're positive, they're encouraging. It was really nice for well, one of the mothers actually come up to me afterwards and she says, your photos are not only amazing, but she said, thank you for showing their children this morning. I said, oh, oh, this afternoon, I said, easy, easy, my pleasure. Teenagers and young adults, you know, are also the same. They're looking for someone who appreciates them, someone who affirms them, some who one who encourages them. It just struck me in the last week or so, I have uh, four guys that are in various places around the world, you've met some of them, and I keep in contact with, with them and I ask them primarily about their spiritual life and how they're going, so they're, they're young 20s. Simon was here from Germany August last year. Uh, Zach was here from Canada. When we came out uh, for Charles Price. Remember that, uh, Inspire as well. So I have Simon and Zach, I've got Arvin in the Philippines, I've got Sarjan and Sabin in Nepal. And I just keep regular contact with them, and they want me to ask them, how is your spiritual life going? Are you reading the Bible? When are you, have you experienced Christ in the last week? And it was only two days ago that Zach, he's in Winnipeg in Canada, two days ago that he sent me a message and he said, Neil, our family doesn't go to church and we haven't been to church for the last three years. I met their family when I was over there. He said, I I need a spiritual mentor in my life. Will you be that person for me? It struck me, It's only struck me this week That there are, in my case, young men, young adults who are looking for someone who will just speak into their life and encourage them in their spiritual walk with Christ. Okay, into the Beatitude again. There is similarity, you know, not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual realm also, that if we look out to the world, and we fail to see that God is at work, it's not because God is not at work, but it's because we're not seeing what he is doing. We have unseeing eyes. So Jesus' statement here, I think, could be written this way. You fail to see God because you don't have eyes for him, And the reason is because you have your eyes for something else. It isn't God, which captivates your thinking, your attention, your love, your worship, your service, your obedience. Your heart isn't pure, and so you fail to see. There are three words for pure in the New Testament. The word can be used of something that is Clean, totally clean. But generally, the general, more general usage of the word is something which is unmixed with other things. For instance, in the Bible, wine. Wine is not mixed with water, is said to be pure wine. Now, it may taste like vinegar, but it is said to be pure wine. Pure in the sense of being not diluted. Purity of heart here, therefore, means not perfect, not perfect, but unmixed with other things. So, the pure in heart that Jesus is talking about is not those who are sinless, that doesn't qualify any of us, does it? But those who have a single eye for God. With each of these Beatitudes that we've looked at so far, we've gone back into the Old Testament. And trace through some of the meanings of the word there to bring us more enlightenment into this beatitude. The word "pure," which Jesus used in this beatitude, occurs in the Bible, and it speaks in the Book of Exodus of the Hebrew, a Hebrew word. Sorry, used to describe the quality of gold, gold, quality of gold used to make the various items for the tabernacle. God said these tabernacle, these items for the tabernacle are to be made, and they're to be made of pure gold. What does he say? Unmixed, right? No corruption in them at all. The psalmist describes the promises of God. The promises of God is pure silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Psalm 12, verse 6. That means when God makes a promise. It's genuine that God keeps his word. He means what he says, and so his promises can be said, are said to be pure gold. Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Of course, and then we know this one. Psalm 51, verse 10. After David committed adultery, in Bathsheba, and God, uh, David prays to God and says, create in me a clean heart, pure heart, a clean heart, And renew a right spirit within me. David is praying to God, God, wash my heart, make it clean, make it pure, and put in me a settled spirit, an established spirit that might dwell in me and remain in me. So here the word clean or pure is used to describe a heart that is true. A person who honours their word, they have no deceit in them. The person who doesn't say one thing and then go and do another. The person who is transparent. What you see, that is who they are. Proverbs 22, verse 11. Those who love a pure heart are gracious in speech and will have the king as a friend. Interesting, the king, the king is a friend. Why the king? Because they can be trusted with the highest human authority. They're pure in heart. Those who see God are like those who stand in the presence of a king, that their gaze is on the one whom they serve. He is the one to whom they give their undivided attention. He is number one to be in his presence is an enormous, enormous privilege of which they take great joy and delight. So Jesus is saying here that the pure in heart is not being sinless, but having that single eye to God. The pure in heart know only too well of the sin within them and the evils outside of them, which they know so easily they can be tempted to and tripped up. But they remain single-eyed towards God. It can also be said, of course, in the negative way that the pure in heart are not, this is the negative, are not like James 1.8, double-minded, unstable in all their ways, for that man must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He will not see God. How tragic, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this this week, how tragic to live in a world where you do not see God at work. That God is at work all around you, but your eye is closed to everything that he's doing. I mean, it just, it just gave me this great thrill this week that young Zach would want to say, Neil, I need a spiritual mentor in my life and I'm asking that you be the one. That just thrilled my heart. The pure in heart, writer to the Hebrews would say is this, have laid aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to run the race set before them, looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy set before him, endured the cross disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the God of the throne of God. If we're to attain this purity of heart that God wants in each of us, it's not something that we can attain by ourselves. If this is something that we really long for, then God is the one who's able to give it to us. Awaken us that this is what we need. John 15 verse 3, Jesus said, you've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. It's God's word that cleanses us. In his word, we're reminded of what God has done for us in Christ. We are cleansed as we've just celebrated by the sacrifice of Jesus for us. I found it interesting that straight after this sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, the very next thing that occurs is that Jesus comes down from the mountain. We read in chapter 8 there, when Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. It's the touch of Jesus upon our lives. And his words spoken into our condition that we need for our hearts to be made pure. Monday evening, I went to a Gideon's dinner. They always show every year, they show testimonies of people who've given their lives to Christ. And they showed a video of a gentleman, this is in the States, who was in prison. He said, I was in the cell tearing out pages of the Gideon Bible one by one to smoke cigarettes. I got up to Leviticus. He says, then I was so annoyed and frustrated with my life, he said, I threw this Bible against the wall and it fell on the floor. And he said, I went over and it had fallen over and so that the sinner's prayer at the very back of the Bible was now exposed to him. He picked up this Bible, he read that prayer, he gave his life for Christ. I love stories like that. So good. So good. It's the word. Jesus, we must come to him. It's the word which cleanses us. To him we fix our gaze. He is the one to fill our minds, fill our thoughts, taking every thought captive to Christ. We come to him, don't we? Because we, need, we know we need purity in our lives and we need his purity in our lives. Only he can satisfy that need of our, ours. So each, each, as we've been seeing, each one of these beatitudes expresses a state or a condition and how Jesus can deliver out of that state, out of that condition. We come to him with empty hands, with empty lives. We say, Jesus, I need washing. I need cleansing. I need filling. The Bible speaks of God, of God as a purifier, purifier, a refiner of silver. We know, we know, don't we, that Silver. Silver is put into a furnace, the heat is turned up, the solid then turns into a liquid and the hotter the furnace becomes, the more dross rises to the surface for then the silversmith to take off this impurity from the top, to discard it. What would not normally be seen unless the heat is turned up more and more is this dross which needs to come to the surface, which needs to be exposed so that it can be got rid of. We have to be shown by God what dross there is in our lives and allow him to remove it. It may be true that the real sins which are preventing us from seeing God more and more in our daily life are things that we would not normally know about, but when we come to his word and read it, there it exposes us. Yes, that is me. That is what I'm like. Lord, save me from that. So it's not only our eyes that are at fault, but also our mind and our heart. To get a pure heart, we need a pure mind. And then we shall see God more clearly not only the impurities that we see that interest God but the impurities that we do not see that he sees and he knows that these two need to be removed Jesus said your eye is the lamp of your whole personality when your eye is sound your whole being is full of light but when it is not sound the whole of your inner being is full of darkness So it's the person behind the eyes that matter to God. Let me come back to my illustration of the silversmith here. And he has a great pot of silver boiling away. And he's watching the dross come to the surface. And he's taking every speck of impurity off the top of the surface there and discarding it. Because he wants the silver to be as pure as it can. And so he turns up the heat even more, and there is more dross that needs to be taken away. And the more he turns up, more little specks appear until he comes to the point where he thinks, This is it, there is no more left. He turns the heat down, and the silver, instead of bubbling, now becomes a flat surface. And he walks over and he looks onto the surface of the silver. And what does he see? His face, His own face. I see me. that's what God wants of you and me. He looks at each of us and he sees Christ. When at last, when life on this earth has ceased, we stand in his presence, all the weight of the world has been taken from us, then we shall be pure. We shall see Jesus and we shall be like him. We sing this nearly every Sunday morning. I preach at Mansfield most Sundays and we sing this at the end. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. In that moment, we shall see God for all that he is and God will look at you and me and he will see himself. the weight of his glory will be ours and his work shall be finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to close this morning with a reading from a psalm, Psalm 86, verse 11. And I want this psalm, this verse out of this psalm, to be your prayer as it is mine also. Let's pray. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. Amen. Now to God who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen.